Chapter 6 of From Slave Cabin to Pulpit by Peter Randolph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 In a Virginia Pulpit. I now propose to speak concerning my preparation and work at Richmond, Virginia. And here I may say that, like General Grant, Benjamin F. Butler, and other Northern generals, I made several attempts and was much delayed before I got there. When I left my charge in Newburgh, New York, I returned to Boston and remained about two years. During this time I was engaged in a small newspaper business and preached for the old ladies' home, then located on Phillips Street. For my two years' service to them I received no compensation, but I shall never forget what the matron, Mrs. Martha Thurston, a devout Christian woman, said to me in regard to my pay. In speaking of my service, she remarked, Brother Randolph, we shall never be able to pay you for your services here, but the Lord will reward you. I believe her prayer was answered. A few days after this I went into the well-known store of Hitchcock and Potter, and was introduced to Mr. J. C. Lester of Boston as the preacher at the colored old lady's home. He asked several questions, and among others, how much money I received for my services. Of course I told him. He was surprised, and asked how I managed to live, and finished by saying, If the men in this store will give you a barrel of flour, I will take it home for you. This was said in the way of a joke, but a few days after, I was invited to call at the store again, and received in money the value of a barrel of flour. I speak of this to show the answer to faithful prayer, and also for the purpose of introducing my friend, Mr. J. C. Lester, who assisted me to Richmond. I must now hasten on to Richmond, the scene of conflict, for I will be delayed somewhat on my journey. As I was in Boston during the latter part of the war, it was my cherished desire to go and serve my country as chaplain in one of the colored regiments. Accordingly, I offered myself to Governor Andrew, but there was no opening at the time for me. When Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox, and the war was declared at an end, and the slaves free, many of the freedmen in Virginia, those who knew they were free, gathered at the great centers where the Union soldiers were quartered, mainly for protection from their masters, and to see what freedom meant. One of these places was City Point, Virginia. As there was a large number of men, women, and children quartered there, and were in the condition of sheep, without pasture or shepherd, I was urged by Rev. L. A. Grimes to look after and try and help these poor people. But I had not the necessary means to undertake this work. I presented the matter to my friend Mr. Lester, and he, with others, furnished the desired help. On my journey I stopped at Baltimore, Maryland, and during my delay the nation was thrown in the deepest sorrow over the reported news that President Lincoln had been assassinated. The national flag was lowered at half-mast, proving that the report was true. I remained in Baltimore until after the funeral, and then hastened to City Point. On arriving, I found the colored people, as I have intimated, in a confused state, and wanted more than I was able to give them. My stay at City Point was short, for I realized that that was not the best place for me to make my headquarters. As the way to Richmond had opened and hostilities ceased, I hastened to establish myself there as a place more suited for the work in every way. On my arrival at Richmond, I was met at the Rockettes by Phil's cook and carried to the house of Mr. John Adams, who had cognizance of my coming. 
he was one of the most prominent colored men in the city having been a freeman before the war and was in fair circumstances being in his hands i was taken good care of and was able to proceed at once to the needed work the scene that opened before my eyes as i entered richmond cannot be accurately described by word or pen the city was in smoke and ashes that is a goodly part of it for the confederacy on taking their departure fired the city rather than let it fall into the hands of the union forces the colored people there from all parts of the state were crowding in at the capitol running leaping and praising god that freedom had come at last it seemed to me i can hear their songs now as they ring through the air slavery chained and broke at last slavery chained and broke at last as a goin to praise god till i die many of the old people had prayed and looked forward to this day but like moses they were permitted to see it afar off and not enter it the place was literally full of soldiers yanks and rebs the armies were breaking up and returning home richmond was the great centre for dispersions all hours day and night was the marching of regiments going and coming the sight of some of these would bring tears to the driest eyes as they beheld men wounded maimed in every possible shape and form that could be mentioned and many of these like the poor coloured people were truly glad that the war was over the city of richmond did not have accommodations enough for this great mass of coloured people so many were gathered on the suburbs and taken care of in the best way possible under the circumstances one of these principal camps where the people were huddled in temporary structures was called Shinbarazzo. here i spent a part of my first sunday in richmond and preached to a large congregation religious services were held in these camps all day and several other preachers were present and readily lent their services among these was rev john jasper who has distinguished himself since as the famous sun do move preacher this was the first time i had the pleasure of meeting him his preaching was much more excitable than mine and seemed to affect the people in a way that i could not this scene and the day's work was very impressive upon me and made me feel and sympathize with these folks only as one who had been in slavery could feel and sympathize it had been argued by some that if the negroes were set free they would murder and kill the white people but instead of that they were praising god and the yankees for life and liberty of course soldiers were stationed about these camps and in all the streets of the city to keep in check anything like an outbreak i am sorry to say here that the treatment of some of the soldiers toward the poor colored people was indeed shameful for the slightest provocation and sometimes for no cause whatever the butts of their guns and bayonets were used unmercifully upon them the colored people held indignation meetings resolutions were passed and a delegation appointed to lay this whole matter before president johnson i was the instigator of the meeting being called and not until these steps were taken did the colored people have rest from the ill-treatment of the soldiers this also must be said relative to these soldiers the most of them who committed these depredations were from the middle states and sympathizers with the south they seemed to be mad because the negger was free and took the authority given them by the wearing of the blue to express it the petitions of the colored men was noticed by the president and remedied by general schofield 
in addition to the provost marshals where soldiers were disciplined bureaus were established for the freedmen where they could be heard and assisted the true condition of the colored people at this time will never be written when i arrived at richmond i had letters of introduction from governor andrew to governor pierpont and also to general schofield i was appointed by the general to issue tickets or passes and distribute them to the people in order that they might get what provisions and clothing there was for them through the agency of the bureau it was a sight to behold to see these hungry souls crowding in at my office to obtain the slips of paper that was to give them the necessities of life the freedmen's bureau also took the place of the courthouse to protect and settle all difficulties that might arise among the people in this particular some of the incidents were heart-rending the most severe cases being where the former master and slave were concerned some of the masters were very reluctant in giving up their servants and tried to defraud and rob them out of their freedom and many of the slaves had to run away from their masters to be free it is true that the proclamation had been accepted and lee had surrendered his sword to grant but some of the white people still contended that these are my neggers when some of the white people found that they could no longer retain them as slaves they used them very cruelly i was often called at the bureau to interest myself in and defend these poor people one sad case i will here mention a colored girl about eighteen years of age who was brought before the bureau with a charge against her former master she had been shamefully whipped and her back burned with a hot iron i well recall the words of general merritt who was at the time the president of the bureau as he beheld the condition of this girl he exclaimed what is this the officer who had her in charge said it is the devil an eye-witness who was present photographed the back of this girl and it can be had if my readers would like to see it let me make another brief mention in the south especially during the dark days of slavery the colored man was expected to stop and let the white person pass first and often had to get off the sidewalk to let the white woman pass i was an eye-witness to this incident a white woman was about to cross the street but the colored teamster who had the right-of-way did not stop for her to cross she had him arrested for attempting to run over her i went to the jail and on my personal testimony he was released this simply illustrates the condition of things that i speak of and also the necessity and work of the freedman's bureau the freedman's bureau was only a temporary arrangement intended to help relieve the condition of the ex-slaves while it had the means to do so it was inestimable to the poor and needy but soon the sources of supply failed and the important work was abandoned this made the suffering and needs of the people more intense than ever many had to go back to their former masters to work or starve and many of the whites tried to make the negroes feel that freedom was worse than slavery in slavery times the masters would see to it that the slaves were fed that is with such as they had to give them but now they would see them starve it is not hard to understand this state of affairs when one thinks of the situation here the whites were smarting under their defeat the negroes who were their main support were taken away from them as slaves and goods of chattel but still remained at their doors the unvented wrath they had for the yankees for meddling with their pet institution was poured out on the poor negroes 
when the bureau closed the police court took its place as a tribunal of justice i have already stated that the freedman's bureau was not only a place for relief but also for the distribution of justice i will speak briefly of the police court that took its place and my relation with the same in the return and establishment of the police court the mayor of the city for the time being was constituted the judge this happened to be george c cahoon a new yorker he studied law in the office of chief justice chase and was a man of excellent qualities the white south looked upon him however as a northern carpet-bagger and did everything to oppose him he was a faithful administer of the law as he understood it was patient and full of justice the colored people as well as the white who had violated the law in his opinion had to pay the penalty the court was constantly crowded with colored people with their complaints i was invited by mr cahoon to look after the interests of these people for they needed some one who could understand them i accepted the invitation and was frequently in the court many would come to mr cahoon with their long story but he would say to them you go and tell mr randolph and he will tell me after i had heard the long complaint i would put it in as short a form as possible and then explain it to the judge there was no end to complaints and outrages committed on the poor and ignorant if the farmer lost his horse cow dog or chicken by death or theft the nigger was held responsible and arrested on the least suspicion i remember a special case where a man lost his cow by death and two colored men were accused of it the evidence showed that they were innocent of the cow's death but the case had to go to the higher court i appeared there in their behalf and they were acquitted the object of many of these arrests can be fully understood by the southern people only the negro had suddenly been made a citizen and given the right of franchise this was an offence to the southern white people and one that they will never forgive the north for in my opinion it should be overlooked just as other war measures are overlooked and forgiven for it was a necessity the white people were determined to prevent them from voting if they could and various methods were resorted to in order to deprive them of their vote chief among these was to get the men put in jail on some criminal charge and thus disqualify them for the law considered all disqualified who had been arrested the jailhouse and chain gang were constantly filled with able-bodied colored men whose offense did not entitle them to be there the ballot though a great privilege was the cause of much suffering for the freedmen before i dismiss these court proceedings let me mention one more case in which i had to participate on one occasion mr cahoon was absent and his assistant was on the bench this morning without much delay or inquiry the judge pro tem had sentenced a colored boy to prison for stealing a small sum of money as i entered i saw the boy standing and weeping bitterly i interrogated him and found that the man who had brought the charge against him was his father i sought out the father and found him to be a white man several who were in the position to know verified the statement of the lad that the man was his father i made known the facts in the case and urged the judge to delay the case until he heard me i endeavored to show in my argument that this was a case where a father was appearing against his own son and though his mother was colored and had been sold in slavery nevertheless this was his flesh and blood 
the judge stopped me before i finished my argument by saying that will do sir i will revoke the sentence and you can take the boy in charge for three weeks this is one of many cases of this kind that might be mentioned but the white south rarely likes to discuss this part of the question mr cahoon in spite of his acts of kindness and justice to all was unable to win over as his friends the local white people they looked upon him as a northern carpet-bagger and were determined to get rid of him if possible they watched for their chance as a cat would watch for a rat an unfortunate circumstance with which mr cahoon was connected furnished an opportunity for them to commence operations a foreigner died without a proper will and in such cases the effects go to the state but mr cahoon acting not as the mayor of the city but as a lawyer examined the submitted report and ordered it to be collected signing his name in approval of the same as a proper document and received the lawyer's fee for his work when the time came for his re-election this matter was strongly urged against him on the ground of forgery he was elected however by an overwhelming majority of the votes of colored and union men this incensed the whites they destroyed the ballot-boxes and votes and proceeded to eject the incumbent and appoint another in his place mr cahoon remonstrated against such procedure for he was a man of strong convictions and was not afraid to express them the crisis was now at hand the local whites who held office under him deserted at this trying hour and he was compelled to depend solely on the colored men and a few unionists the mob surrounded him and his colored followers in a hall and kept him there all day it was necessary for him to appeal to the united states authority for protection and also to decide who was the rightful incumbent of the office the decision was in favor of mr cahoon and he was restored to his former position in this trial judge underwood presided and he was defended by henry a wise ex-governor wells and chandler of maine the whites were determined however not to let mr cahoon remain in office the charge of forgery relative to the report he had signed was repeated against him he was arrested and tried by the court of virginia found guilty and sentenced but governor walker of virginia would not see this noble man go to the penitentiary and therefore pardoned him after this he took his departure from virginia the scene of trial and persecution it should be understood here that the colored people did not desert mr cahoon but supported him to the last and many suffered with him i was personally acquainted with one man who was shot i myself visited him while he was in jail and heard him with tears in his eyes speak of the sad disappointment of justice and cruel treatment he had received at the hands of the southern white people in the beginning of this chapter and speaking of my advent in richmond i referred to the condition of the people generally as i found them how the soldiers were passing and repassing for days and weeks in this connection i wanted to say that one of the chief divisions was general sherman's it was a wonderful sight to see this army passing for three long days and colored people standing in the streets with buckets of water to refresh them as they passed white and colored people alike were surprised to see so many yankees and they commonly remarked where did they come from they must be from under the ground also i want to emphasize another point in connection with this early state of affairs and that is the ideas that many of the freedmen had relative to the new state of things 
the current view among many directly after the war was that they would receive so much land from the government to help them in the new life this opinion seemed reasonable and was shared by many but imagine their disappointment when they were told frankly that the government had no such intentions as they entertained well do i remember the impression made on the people when senator henry wilson on his visit to richmond and at the invitation of the colored delegation answered this question the kind senator did not leave them without some good advice they were not looking for advice however but land to plant corn and potatoes for their wives and children the condition as i have intimated of these people was deplorable instead of forty acres and a mule they had to return to their former masters barefooted and hat in hand and ask permission to work for the victuals and clothes when this part of the freedman's condition is considered rightfully there will be an opportunity for regrets and tears of repentance is there a case in all history that can be compared with this where over four millions of people ignorant and empty-handed are turned loose into the world to seek for themselves homes in the face of every possible disadvantage during the time pierpont was governor of virginia a report came from chester county that the negroes in that vicinity were in a state of insurrection and that they were about to rise up and kill all the white people in that section i was acquainted with the governor through my letter of introduction from governor andrew as there was considerable talk about this uprising mr pierpont requested my views on the subject i informed him that i was in a position to know if there was anything of the kind but did not believe that there was a word of truth in the report but that it was rather a pretext gotten up on the part of the whites to murder the colored people the governor paid no attention to the rumor by sending militia and there was no riot a few colored men were out hunting rabbits and the whites cried negro uprising this is a good illustration of many reported uprisings among the colored people of the south usually these reports originated among the white and not the colored people this is one of the sham tricks of the south to get up a negro riot call out the militia or the citizens in arms to butcher the blacks for the purpose of keeping them in their places as they say of course there are good white people in the south who took no part in these cruel outrages against the colored people but they are to be criticized because they do not condemn them every community is held responsible that permits one class of its citizens to outrage another class with impunity hundreds of colored people in the south since emancipation have been whipped to death lynched and burned alive until the question is asked and asked rightfully is the south civilized what thomas jefferson said about slavery so i repeat in substance relative to the persecution of my people i tremble for my country when i think that god is just while speaking on this subject of southern outrages permit me to say this also that i believe much responsibility rests on the north in regard to this whole matter the north should not be content as long as one man is oppressed and his rights disregarded if she is inclined to be negligent in this matter let her remember the two hundred thousand colored soldiers who died in the defense of the union and the multitudes of white soldiers who were saved from death traps and starvation by the hands of the poor slave the covenant that general b f butler made with himself when he walked among so many dead and brave black soldiers should be the sentiment of the whole north 
never to forget them or be untrue during my stay in richmond as pastor and carrying on special work among the freedmen it was my privilege to meet several of the most prominent men among these was judge john c underwood of the united states district court he was a good kind-hearted man and took much interest in the colored people often i had to consult with him about local matters on one occasion he sent for me and i was to meet him at his boarding-place which was the spotswoods hotel the most popular hotel in the city i called at the hotel entered the bar-room and inquired for him of the barkeeper but he made no reply to my direct question finally he said if you take off your hat i'll answer you i had just returned from boston and had on a new beaver hat why sir said i a little indignant at his gruff remark take off my hat in a bar-room the other gentlemen have on their hats and they do not look half as good as mine his blunt reply was but neggers take off theirs i am a gentleman sir said i the gentleman behind the bar ordered me out and if i had not obeyed he would have had me and my new silk hat out on the sidewalk upside down and i couldn't have helped myself the good judge was provoked when he heard of the occurrence but this was richmond and not boston before i left richmond i saw this hotel in ashes and its bare walls standing white against the sun when i saw this it was natural for me to think of the insult i had received there but with no malice in my heart for i pitied and felt sorry for the poor drunken set caught there on that fatal night and whose bodies furnished fuel for the flames fifteen or more bodies were found in the ruins beyond identification here we were brought face to face with the great evil of intemperance and also the fact that the popular hotel is often the source and the end of the evil the sight of that fire haunts me now as i think of those human beings standing at the windows crying for help and no one able to help them the rev dr dickinson d d editor of the religious herald was also another man of note that i met while in richmond soon after my arrival i called on him in company with a friend who introduced me as a preacher from boston at that time the mention of the name boston was sufficient to stir the iron in any southern white man's blood for she had taken the lead in the anti-slavery struggles and was the first to raise her hand against the rebellion so naturally he expressed himself quite forcibly in regard to the massachusetts people and his general views on the subject of slavery from the southern standpoint i endeavored to keep my voice under being reminded of that scripture which said a soft answer turneth away wrath but grievous words stir up anger the doctor felt that the north had committed the unpardonable sin and there was no forgiveness for them when i met him again it was in boston at a minister's conference in addressing the conference he said in substance that it was a great blessing to the south that slavery was abolished and it was worth all that it had to pay for it of blood and treasure he also intimated that he would help to lift up the negro i had the pleasure of speaking after him and referred to our first meeting in richmond but did not allude to his views at that time i was glad to see that he was a converted man and was able to look at things in a new light dr jeter was another popular and very distinguished personage in and about richmond he was a good preacher and theologian 
i became acquainted with him in my early ministry at the ebenezer church he used to drop in occasionally to hear me preach and would sit right in front of me where he could see and nod his head to all with which he assented after hearing me on one occasion he made the remark that i was as good a colored preacher as he ever heard and he was proud of me because i was born in virginia i suppose every man should be proud of his birthplace i am grateful for all the good that virginia has done me but i cannot boast very much in this direction when i remember that her laws forbade me to read the bible i feel more indebted to massachusetts for what i am than i do to virginia i had to flee from my natural mother virginia and seek protection under my adopted mother massachusetts i think i love my adopted mother the best in conversation with dr jeter on the subject of slavery he once remarked that he believed slavery to be right and a divine institution because the bible supported it he was not particular in quoting that passage that god had made of one blood all the nations of the earth or where christ teaches that we must do unto our neighbors as we would have them do unto us while he maintained these views and endeavored to support them by scripture yet he said i hope i am wrong in my views i did not understand why he should make such a remark unless it was that he felt the compunctions of conscience i was informed that when the union soldiers were approaching richmond the good doctor intimated his willingness to go out and fight the yankees he put on his confederate armor and went forth but he did not get near enough for anyone to hurt him or he to hurt anyone else the doctor was tall and thin and had very good legs for running so while he was a good preacher and theologian and believed in slavery as a divine institution yet he was a poor soldier his position reminds me of the quaker in the duel as the opponents had to choose weapons the quaker selected as his a long-range rifle and his antagonist pistols in approaching each other the quaker said stand thou there for thou art near enough for me to hit thee the other man withdrew fearing that while the quaker was near enough with his rifle he was not near enough with his pistol so the doctor doubtless found the yankee's guns too long and effectual for him to face rev r ryland d d was another important character whom i wish to mention in this connection he was the pastor of what was known as the old african baptist church of richmond the membership of this church was all colored people and was reported to be between three and four thousand mr ryland was the white pastor over this colored flock in the days of slavery the colored pastor was unknown the spiritual adviser and teacher was always a white man there were colored exhorters and class leaders but the boss preacher was always white my first meeting of dr ryland was in the first african church i was introduced as the pastor of the ebenezer baptist church after the introduction i noticed he wanted to say something so i commenced the conversation by asking him how many persons he thought the edifice would hold about fifteen hundred was his answer i expressed surprise and asked him how it was that the reported membership was so large and the seating capacity so small he thought i was a northern man bred and born and went on to explain that a large number of his congregation had gone south meaning of course that they were sold in slavery he proceeded also to tell how mild the form of slavery was in virginia compared with other parts of the south supposing i knew nothing of it 
i made a long sigh and remarked that if hell was any worse than slavery in virginia i did not want to go there why said he what do you mean i repeated again and said that what i meant was that slavery was a torment in virginia i then proceeded to tell him that i was a virginian by birth and had lived for years within her borders and tasted much of the bitter cup of slavery and also showed him just what the true relation between the master and the slave was when i got through he had but very little to say on the subject when david saw a bear or lion in his flock he rose up and slew it the lions and bears of slavery entered dr ryland's flock more than once and took away his lambs but he never was known to complain or to make a single protest how he will explain and settle this matter with the great shepherd and bishop of souls i cannot now say yet it is not my purpose to sit in judgment upon him for he had many good characteristics and i had a good chance to learn of them for i was a pupil under him in dr culver's school this school was established at the close of the war for the benefit of the colored ministers and nathaniel culver d d former pastor of tremont temple boston was the president mr ryland was employed in this school because of his long intimate relation with the colored people as pastor he was kind and patient and a good biblical scholar and as students we all loved him regardless of his slaveholding proclivities one remarkable thing about this school was it was held in what was known as lumpkin's jail this at one time was the greatest slave market in the world virginia furnished most of the slaves for the other southern states and this was the great place where they were sold on the auction block to the highest bidder the groans and expressions of sorrow that used to go up from this accursed spot when husbands and wives parents and children were separated never more to meet cannot be described by tongue or pen how fitting it was that a school for the instruction of the freedmen and especially the christian ministry should be erected and occupy this place verifying that scripture that god makes even the wrath of men to praise him let me recall also two other characters i met in richmond during my stay there though they are not as distinguished as those i have mentioned yet they have left upon me as strong an impression as any the first of these two that i desire to speak of is uncle phil jones it was over sixteen years since i had seen him on the old plantation in the days of cruel slavery i had left the south for the north in order to obtain my freedom now i had returned as a teacher and preacher of glad tidings uncle phil jones had known me from childhood and naturally enough when he heard of me in richmond his great joy was to see me and take me by the hand i shall never forget that meeting as the old man approached me with head white as cotton tottering feet and trembling hand why peter is this you praise the lord that i have lived to see the day then he burst into tears and sobs it was an affecting scene poor old man time and slavery had dealt hard with him and left the visible marks i myself had seen this old man's back literally furrowed by the overseer's lash and washed in salt water to preserve it and keep away the flies and now like a horse that has been worked nearly to death for all that he is worth until he becomes old crippled and poor this poor old man is turned loose without corn or fodder on the cold charities of the world 
who are to blame for this destitute condition himself his parents or those who have driven him until they could drive him no longer in connection with uncle phil jones i may also relate that i met in richmond his master william b harrison this is the same man who was mentioned in my little book on slave life as helping the sixty-six in obtaining our freedom though he was by no means an angel toward his own slaves yet he was friendly and kind toward us in securing our rights i called on mr harrison in richmond he seemed glad to see me and had much to say about the unjust treatment we received at the hands of the lawyer and the executors but he too like phil jones had experienced a great change he was not the william b harrison that once i knew on the james river with his well-stocked plantation and over a hundred slaves these all like a dream of the night had suddenly vanished from his gaze he was a great enemy of the north and fought for all he was worth and in return the yankees spared neither him nor his chickens i met also william allen better known as major allen he was a wealthy nephew of my master who raised and equipped a southern regiment for the rebellion he invited me to see him and was pleased to tell his friends that i had been a servant in his family i do not know why he took so much pleasure in mentioning it I cannot say that I was ashamed of what happened to be my misfortune. Joseph was a servant in Egypt, but in due time his position was changed, and he was a blessing to all succeeding generations. The major had obtained his wealth from Colonel William Allen, the owner of the celebrated Clearmont Plantation on the James River, who was estimated to own nearly a thousand slaves. Old Joe Mayo, as he was commonly called by the colored people of Richmond, also deserves mention in these brief records. The colored people looked upon him as their Nero, a man without a heart. He was a tobacco manufacturer, making the famous Virginia Navy brand. He was the mayor of the city when Richmond surrendered to the Union forces. He had made his boast, however, that before he would surrender, he would ride in blood up to his saddle this statement is something like that made by the boy who said he was going to curse his master he went to the big gate and cursed his master but at the time his master was miles away the yankees were miles away when mr mayo made this remark but when they got to the gates of richmond he was among the first to flee for safety doubtless he changed his mind and thought that discretion was the better part of valor I was told by one who knew from bitter experience that when Mr. Mayo became mayor of the city, he gave it out that he had a whipping for every nigger in town. It was his law that every colored person who was caught on the streets without a pass was to be sent to the jail and receive nine and thirty lashes. This public whipping in the jail was not altogether like a circus or a picnic. The more times you went to it, the more you wanted to go. But the opposite was true the strongest and stoutest after they had embraced the whipping post and received what was for them rarely cared to visit that place again a colored woman with her child in her arms was on the streets without a pass it is said that mr mayo slapped the child's face and sent the woman to the whipping post thereby verifying his statement that he had a whipping for every nigger in town there was a time when nero no longer sat on the throne with undisputed sway his sceptre of power had departed so with mr mayo when i first saw him in richmond his fine residence where the silver had been buried in the garden but not so deep that the yankees could not find it 
was occupied by general roberts and mr e d bean of the new hampshire second regiment as i beheld him he excited my sympathy and pity and i was reminded of the words of the sacred poet o lucifer thou son of the morning star how hast thou fallen yes and fallen never to rise again the old man died and was buried but the colored people looked on his grave without a tear and though there was no epitaph written on his tombstone they could easily supply it by saying here lies old joe mayo in his grave dead often he whipped us till we bled he will send us no more to the whipping post for he has gone to join the silent host to the judgment seat he must come to give account for the deeds he has done doubtless my readers will be pleased to hear something about the first political meeting i attended after the war in richmond there was much excitement about this time for the smell of powder was still in the air a meeting was called by the union people including of course the colored to consider plans for a new constitution the big meeting was in the capitol the late seat of the head of the confederacy this was sacred ground made hallowed because of the distinguished virginians and statesmen who had stood there it was a thing unknown for a colored man to stand in those halls and on those steps to mingle his voice with the great men of the past he was known to tread upon those sacred precincts only as a slave and a servant and never as a man advocating the rights of man i took my place at the head of the big steps with the white union men my colored friends thought i was running a great risk by making myself so conspicuous when it was known that i came from boston i must confess that i did feel a little weak in the knees for i did not know at what time a stray bullet might come my way and rebuke me for daring to occupy a position that no other colored man had assumed finally i was called upon to address the assembly i need not say there was silence for all eyes were turned upon me and they were anxious to hear what the colored man had to say i began my remarks by saying that i was a virginian by birth and only a son of massachusetts by adoption that i had to leave virginia to obtain and enjoy my freedom that i had returned for the purpose of helping to build up my native state so that she might form an important link in the great bond of union when the whites heard i was born in virginia they seemed more anxious to hear me i continued further by saying that what we the colored people wanted was money and education so that we could own railroads and steamboats and that when we came in possession of these we would have the white people to ride beside us and not behind us when the meeting was over several of the local whites congratulated me and offered to treat me with cigars and so forth but i politely declined it has been over a quarter of a century since i in a jocose manner made this brief allusion to the needs of the colored people and this same idea might be emphasized to-day with greater earnestness and sincerity my brethren in the south to-day are dying by the wholesale for the want of the necessities and comforts of life and this is due to the fact that they have not been educated to provide for themselves give them education and money and many of the unpleasant phases that now exist relative to the negro would be unknown those few who by hard struggle and opposition have acquired education and money are better respected by the whites this is true in the church and all the avenues of life a brief incident to illustrate this fact may be in order here 
a story is related of a prominent new york layman who invited a colored merchant to his church and a seat in his pew when this black cloud entered the church the true spirit of worship for the time being seemed to have taken its flight the congregation could not worship in the spirit on account of the presence of this dark intruder the minister was hindered in his discourse because he saw that his congregation was offended at the close of the service the offending member was reproved by another for bringing this dark stranger into his pew the layman defended himself by replying that the stranger was a christian and an educated man no matter was the reply he is a negro and let him go to his own church but he is a rich negro and has arrived with a valuable cargo continued the merchant indeed said the fault-finding brother give me an introduction the moment he said rich negro that was a horse of another color and sufficient to cause a change of opinion so i repeat give the colored man money and education and he will be recognized the world over in speaking of the causes which lead to the ignorant and degrading condition of the colored people in this country i think i can safely say that they themselves are not wholly responsible for they have lived for centuries in a country rich in resources through their sweat and blood others have become rich and powerful but they poor and weak as the whole country aided in the oppression the whole country is partly responsible for their present condition End of chapter 6